Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Lord God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to break the bread of your Word with your people. And I pray, Lord, that you give us all open and receptive hearts to receive your word and to receive the work you desire to do in us, through us, and even for us, Father. And so I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. I pray that you'll be glorified. I pray, Father, that you would help us to sense your presence and that when we leave this place, no matter uh, what building we're in tonight, Lord, whether it's in the children's building, junior high, high school groups, Lord, here in the sanctuary, we pray that we would leave uh, this place better than when we came. All for your glory tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are in 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. And as usual, we have a title uh, for the message. And the title is, When Fear is a Factor. When Fear is a Factor. Now in reading or hearing the title of this lesson, some people may may think of that show, uh, The Fear Factor. And in that show, which I admit to watching a long time ago in the early 2000s, I remember that people had to face their fears and do all kinds of crazy stunts, uh, including eating weird stuff. And, and that's where they would lose me. That's where I would lose every time. I, I just can't eat weird stuff. I can't even eat especially when I was younger, I can't even eat okra without gagging. In fact, when I was younger, it was so slimy that, uh, you know, I, I just, like I said, I just would gag every time it would go halfway down. And my father would make me sit at the table until I finished my food. And so I found a way around it. I would chew it. And then when he wasn't looking, I spit it in my hand, stuff it in my pockets, go to the restroom and, and I'll flush it down the toilet. And so if I were on that show, which thank God I never have been, never will be, don't want to be. Like I said, I would lose every time when it came to eating weird stuff. And so needless to say, if a person on that show, they, if they didn't complete the stunt because of their fear, they will be eliminated from that show. But of course, I didn't bring you here to talk about that because we're, we're not going to talk about a game show today. We're going to talk about real life and when we're going to talk about the kind of results that come from allowing fear to be a factor in our lives and in our situations. And so we're going to pick up some spiritual nuggets from tonight's lesson based on the life and the activity of King David, who was anointed king, but he hasn't taken the throne yet, but I call him King David. And so we're going to learn a lot from his activities and, and from the situation that we see here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And so beginning at the first verse, it says, Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David. And he said to him, Why are you alone and, and no one is with you? And so David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And he says, I have directed or stationed my young man to such a such a place or I stationed them in a certain place. And so those of you who are uh, familiar a little bit uh, with this story or what's going on, uh, David is on the run from King Saul, the the first king of Israel. King Saul sees David as a threat. He sees him as an enemy. And so once again, David is on the the run here. And what he says about being uh, on some business for the king, for King Saul, of course, is a lie. And so just wanted to fill you in on that in case you weren't that familiar with what's going on. But in verse 3, he says, now, therefore, and he says this to the priest, Ahimelech, 
What have you on hand or what do you have that I can use? And he says, give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, there is no common. There is no, in other words, ordinary bread on hand, but there is holy bread. And he says, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women or have not recently slept with women. And of course, at this time, um, David arrived alone. He arrived alone, but he said his men were stationed at a certain place. And so that's why the priests mention not only David, but the young men, if they have at least kept themselves from women, then of course they can eat the holy bread. And so from this um, lesson here so far, we see that David was in a desperate situation. He's on the run. He's running for his life. And it tells us he went to Nob. And Nob at that time was a city of priests. And, and it was in the southern part of Israel. And it was between Gibeah and Jerusalem. And Gibeah, of course, being the home of King Saul. But here we see that David was willing to take whatever could be found. But the priests, the scriptures tell us, he didn't have ordinary bread. He didn't have common bread. The scriptures tell us that he only had holy bread available. And this holy bread would be a reference to the showbread, which many of you have read about. And that showbread, of course, would would be on the table of showbread. So, so if you were to walk into the tabernacle and you were to look to the right, you would see that table of showbread. And you would see the, the showbread there in two rows, two rows of six. And they were to prepare it each week, I believe every Sabbath day, they were to change it out so it would be fresh. And the scriptures also tell us that that only the priests were allowed to eat this holy bread or this show bread. And so at this time, of course, that's all the priests had available. But the priest was willing to give David and those men who were waiting somewhere else. He was willing to give them that holy bread. This desperate man who needed some sustenance, who was in need, he was willing to give him that holy bread. And, and even today, there are many who are desperate. There are many who are, who are living with us in these desperate times. Some people are hungry. Some people are hungry, literally, of course. Some people are starving, literally. But spiritually speaking, some people are desperate. And they're hungry and they're thirsting for something that they cannot get from the world. Something they cannot get from their job. Something that they cannot get from education. Something that they cannot find from drugs or alcohol. They are in a desperate situation. But the question I have tonight is, are we willing to be like this priest? Are we willing to be like Ahimelech and offer them the holy bread? And of course, the holy bread we're speaking of tonight is that bread of life. And of course, the bread of life I'm speaking of tonight is Jesus. So are we willing to offer them something common, something that they can just find in any place in the world? Or are we willing to offer them the bread of life, which is, of course, the better option? You see, Jesus Christ in John chapter 6, 35 said to them, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And I tell you tonight, yes, there are some people who are desperate. They, there are some people who are being held down by fear. There's some people who are even going to churches and they're still not being fed. But wait a minute. It says that this is a Christian church. It says that on the website, it says that out there on the billboard or on the marquee that this is a Christian church and I'm still not being fed, some people would say. They're not hearing about the bread of life, Jesus Christ. But are we willing to share that holy bread with people just like this priest was willing to share the holy bread with David and those men who were waiting elsewhere? But then in verse five, it says, David answered the priest and he said to him, truly, women have been kept from us 
uh, about three days since I came out or since I set out on my journey and, and the vessels of the young men are holy and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. And so I just want to share with you that, yes, that second part of, of verse 5, which I call uh, verse 5b, of course, is, is a little difficult to, to interpret. But if you look at other English versions, it'll help us to come up with something like this. So when we think about that second part, in other words, he's saying that, that my men always keep themselves holy, even when on an ordinary or common journey, is what he's saying. And, and he says, and this is especially true when the work or the journey is holy, and so, of course, the vessels refer to the bodies of, of David and those men. And so, in short, David is saying, we should have no problem eating the holy bread that you have on hand. We're always ready. We're always set apart. Our vessels are always ready when we're on a journey. And so, yes, priests, we, we, can, we can receive this, this holy bread, the show bread that you have on hand. And so when we talk about the vessels being clean or pure in this part of the lesson tonight, we're talking about being ceremonially or ritually clean in order to partake in something uh, ceremonial. But as believers, as people who repented and put our faith in Jesus Christ, we put our trust in Jesus Christ and are now, are now saved. Let's go a little deeper than the ceremonial purity or cleanliness. You see, we want to go past the ceremonial aspects of the law. You see, when you read the Old Testament, there, there, there is a different part of the law. There are different parts of the law. There are the ceremonial parts of the law. For example, like only the priest could eat the showbread or this is the way you offer various sacrifices. Those are ceremonial laws. And then, of course, you had the civil laws, what Israel, what the, the Jews were to do if there was some type of conflict between one Jewish brother and another Jewish brother and so forth. If somebody ox killed somebody else's ox or whatever, those had to do with the civil law. And so now I mentioned the ceremonial law and the civil law, but then you have the moral law. And the moral law, of course, is still good for today because it was bad and evil to steal back then. And it is still sin to sin today. It was sinful to commit adultery back then in the Old Testament. And it's still sinful today. And so the moral law, of course, is still good. And so we want to go past this ceremonial aspect of the law, which is being re referenced here. That yes, these young men has kept, they've kept their vessels, their, their bodies clean. They have not been with women so they can partake of this bread in a ceremonial way. So, but as believers, once again, we want to go past that. And we want to talk about being clean morally, which means that we need to keep the vessels of our bodies pure by not using our bodies to sin. These bodies that Jesus purchased. They belong to him. And so we should live for him. We should present our bodies. Romans chapter 12 tells us as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, guess what? Our reasonable service. It all belongs to him. So will we glorify him? Will we honor him with our bodies? The bodies that not only he created, but the body that he purchased and so let's go past the ceremonial aspect of the law and morally speaking, keep the vessels of our bodies pure. So the rule of our lives, the lifestyle that we live, not saying that we won't ever sin. We, we hate that we ever sin. But unfortunately, as believers, that happens. And if and if that happens, if we sin. Then what we need to do. Is confess that sin to the Lord. And it says that he'll forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It tells us in 1 John chapter 1. And I like what it says in 1 John chapter 2 that we have an advocate if we sin. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ. His blood stands in our defense. 
Our sins have been paid for once and for all. So, so Darrell, if our sins have been paid for once and for all, then why do we need to keep confessing or repenting of our sin if we sin as believers? Well, we're talking about fellowship. We want to stay on the same page with God, with our Father. And the good thing about it is, as people with the Holy Spirit who indwell us, the Holy Spirit will convict us. He will bring that sin to our attention, and which should lead us to confess that sin to him. And confessing, of course, means that we say the same thing. We say the same thing as the Lord when we're convicted of sin. We say, yes, Lord, it is sin. We agree with you, and we're sorry about that. And then the, the, the fellowship is restored. We're back on the same page with the Lord. And I do have a reference in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, for this is the will of God, your, guess what, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess or control his own vessel, body, that is, in sanctification and honor. So the will of God for us is our sanctification. So yes, we are justified. That's a once and for all process for, or a once and for all thing that happens for the believer. When we repent, we say, I do to Jesus, we are justified. We're declared righteous. We're no longer guilty. We're on our way to heaven. Jesus' righteousness is imputed into our spiritual account. So when he looks upon us, before we have done any good work after salvation, but when he looks at us, he sees us as holy. He sees us as if we were the one who lived the holy and righteous life that Jesus did. That gets credited to our account, but now we go through a process called sanctification. And this is where we are now. And in sanctification, what should be happening for the believer is that we should be sinning less and becoming more like Jesus. But there's no way for us to do that if we're not walking in the spirit. And so that's why Galatians tells us to walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. And so we need to be walking in the Holy Spirit. We need to be following his lead. We need to abstain from sexual immorality, and this is a broad term. It could include, of course, adultery. It could include uh, fornication. It could include bestiality. It could include homosexuality. All of that is under sexual immorality. Abstain from that, that we should know how to control his own vessel in sanctification and honor. But guess what? We can't have self-control without the spirit because that's part of the fruit of the spirit. Self-control. And again, that's in Galatians chapter 5. But in verse 6, it says this. So the priest gave him holy bread. For there was no bread there but the showbread which had been taken from before the Lord. In order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. And so the priest gave him holy bread. And this story, by the way, is referenced by Jesus. And so if you want to turn there to Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. And so some people wonder, well, how do we know that that story in the Old Testament is true? Well, this is one way. If Jesus talks about it, then that validates it because Jesus, is, of course, is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, that is God with us. And so in Matthew 12, verses 1 and 8, Jesus talks about this instance between David and the priests. In Matthew 12, verse 1, he says, at that time, or the Bible says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples, your followers, your, your students are not doing what is they are doing what is not lawful for, to do on the Sabbath, on this day of rest. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet 
I say to you that in this place, there was one greater than the temple. That's him referring to himself. But Jesus says, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And so Jesus, he, he condoned with what the priest did in our lesson tonight. And given that holy bread to David and his men, Jesus said that was okay, even though that that wasn't what was normally done in the ceremonial law, because normally only the priests would eat that. But Jesus condoned it because he says uh, pretty much mercy is uh, is better than sacrifice. That's pretty much what he's saying. In other words, in other words, God wants us to be merciful he wants us to be compassionate to people. You see, I know we have our religious traditions and, and, and religious ceremonies and, and things have to fall into place a certain way a lot of times. But Jesus is saying that human need supersedes that. He's not talking about superseding the moral law because what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong every time. But he's talking about when it comes to those religious traditions or the ceremonies and things like that. God would rather for us to be merciful and compassionate to people. Because in doing that, what we're fulfilling is, guess what? The law of love. And the law of love is what he wants. That's, that's the commandment that he gave to his disciples. That's the commandment that he gave to us. And guess what? When we are loving our neighbor, then, then guess what? We're being compassionate towards them. And so, Pastor Darrell, can you give me an example of, 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 how, of how human need can take precedence over uh, a ceremonial aspects or the religious aspects of what we do here? Well, one example could be the, the sanctuary, for example. Normally, what we have here are, are church services, teaching and, and preaching of the word of God. But now if there were a natural disaster and there were people out there stuck on the streets and, and they had nowhere to go, of course, we would use the sanctuary to, to make sure that people were kept safe from whatever natural disaster it was, whether it was a big, I know we don't get a lot of huge earthquakes here or, or t- big tornadoes or whatever, although there have been some small ones. But let's say there was a big one as an example. And then there was no shelter. Then, yeah, we would use this place or there was a lot of flooding outside and, and people were stuck out there. Yeah, we, we would use this place to help people. We'll give them water and, and, and food, whatever snacks we have. So that will be an example of human need taking precedence over the ceremonial aspects, right? But you might have those people, well, this, this building can only be used for teaching and preaching the word of God. Well, there's a human need there. And so that will be an example of how we could apply it to today. And there could be many examples that you may be able to think of. And so once again, being merciful or compassionate to people is an example of us, of us fulfilling the law of love. And in verse seven, it says, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. He was attained before the Lord and his name was Doeg. He was an Edomite the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And so already uh, we can see where this is going to go. And you'll see that in the next study, how, how this man Doeg is going to tell Saul that David had met there in Nob with Ahimelech. He's going to tell it. So already we can foresee that. And therefore this Doeg is, is pretty much going to serve as an agent of Saul even though he may not have gone there to intentionally follow David or the spy on David, he's going to serve as an agent of King Saul, the man who sees David as his enemy. But the scripture says here that, that Doeg, this Edomite man, he was detained before the Lord. And we don't know exactly what that means, but, but maybe it means that he was there from for some kind of unspecified ritual, or maybe he was there for some type of ceremonial purpose. We don't know for sure what that means, but that's what it could mean. And just like uh, King Saul had this agent there, 
Maybe he didn't plan that, but he still ends up being the angel of Saul. But the, the, the point I want to make is that there are also agents that, that Satan has. Remember, he persuaded a third of God's angels to come with him. And those angels fail. Those angels are what we call demons. Those fallen angels are what we call demons. And so, yes, Satan has an army. He has these agents, so to speak, who observe us just like this Edomite, this, just like Doeg was, was there. He was observing David. And so, yes, there's demons who observe what we do. They observe our weaknesses. And so they, they can tell certain things that that will be a strong temptation for us. They can do that. Now, I don't believe that demons can read our minds because we have the Holy Spirit as believers within us. Now, neither do I believe, and, and I'm not, I wasn't initially going here with this point, but I have to say this, neither do I believe that a true believer can be demon-possessed. You could be oppressed, and I like to say that that kind of means like you can be bullied by demons. You could be tempted but a true believer cannot be possessed by a demon because if you say that, that means you're saying that that demon is stronger than the Holy Spirit. And, and he's not because the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. And the Holy, Holy Spirit doesn't leave a true believer. He stays there forever. The scriptures tell, tell us that. Jesus tells us that. Comes to dwell with us forever. Amen. And also, as I mentioned earlier, he's the down payment of what God promised us. I also heard somebody say seal. He was also our seal. And when you talk about a seal, you talk about ownership. And so what would happen with the seal, now that I heard that term out there in the audience, out there from, from one of the brothers in Christ, when we talk about a seal, think, think of some clay that is on an envelope. And so whoever um, was sending off that, that mail or that, or that scroll they, they would put their imprint, maybe from a ring, into that seal, into that wax seal. And so you would see their mark upon it. And their mark would indicate that they own that, that envelope or that they own that scroll. But it also does this. It also secures what is inside of that scroll. And the Holy Spirit seals us so he secures us for eternity when it comes to our salvation And it also shows his mark upon us. And so, no, I do not believe that a true believer can be possessed by demons, but they can serve as bullies. They can serve as agents watching us just like Doeg was was watching David. And David in verse eight said to Ahimelech, "Is, is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have bought, brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And so first he needed some food. He needed some loaves of bread. Now he is looking for a weapon. And so in verse nine, the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. There it is. It's wrapped up in cloth behind the ephod, which was a type of vest that was normally worn by the priests. And the priest goes on to say to David, if, if you will take that, if you want to take that sword that used to belong to Goliath, go ahead, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. And so apparently Goliath's sword was impressive because David said there was none like it. It was an impressive sword. But, but the thing about this sword is that it didn't do anything to help Goliath. Because David defeated him with the sling, the stone, and of course, help from the Lord. And so what would be more help to David would be the Lord. He trusted in the Lord earlier, and that's what he should continue to do. That was more helpful to him. And that's true for us as well. You see, in spite or despite the, the, the impressive weapons that we see in this world, despite the technology that's impressive that we see in this world, despite the impressive methods or the methodology that we see in this world, there is nothing like the Lord. 
There is nothing that can help us to win or to overcome like the Lord. There, there is nothing or no one who can protect us like the Lord can. But the question I have for all of us is, will we trust this God? Will we trust the Lord? See, in verse 10, it says, then David arose and he fled that day from before Saul and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And they sang that song back in 1 Samuel chapter 18, if you want to check it out or review it. But they recognized him. See, David went to pretty much what was Goliath's hometown. Gath was his hometown. It was a city of the Philistines. And so now David had the enemy's sword. He had Goliath's sword, whom he defeated. And then he goes to Goliath's hometown of Gath in order to find safety or to try to find safety. And so when David went to Achish, this king of Gath, once again, the Philistines, they, they recognized who he was. They pointed him out to King Achish. And I would wonder tonight, how would we react if the world were to recognize us, if we were to try to join in, join with them and fit in? If we try to join in with their method, methodologies or mythologies or methods or whatever the case may, may be. We try to join in and take up their arguments, their way of fighting, their way of uh, trying to uh, find solutions to issues in the world. What if we tried to join in? How would we react if the world were to recognize us and say, hey, wait a minute, aren't you that Christian? Aren't you that, that lady? Aren't you that girl? Aren't you that teenager? Aren't you that man who I normally see post, post scriptures on Twitter? Aren't, aren't you the one I normally see post scriptures on social media, on these various platforms? Wait a minute, you, you coming over to our side now? And, but but didn't, didn't I used to go to your church at one point? Didn't you try to witness to me at one point? Didn't I hear you say that you used to teach Sunday school and you join in over here now? We, oh, we recognize who you are. Didn't you teach such and such about sin? Didn't you say that Jesus is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life, that he's the only way to salvation? Aren't you that woman? Aren't you that man who, who taught that, who, who, who taught that the, that the Bible is the, the only holy book, the, the only word of God? Aren't you that Christian? How will we, we react to that? I wonder tonight if, if there would be too much Jesus in us, for them to accept us. Or I wonder if we claim to be Christians and they don't see Jesus at all. And they just readily take us in because we fit in so much. Because we, we, we have not lived that crucified life. But my desire is that the world would see too much Jesus in us. To even think that we would fit in. Yes. Jesus didn't save us to fit in. To fit in with the world. With the world system that is run by Satan. He, he saved us. Of course for. So that we could. So we won't go to hell and be quarantined. So to speak from God forever. So that our sins will be forgiven of course. But he also died so that we would stand out, so that we will be light and salt. But are we standing out? I ask that question again. Is there too much Jesus in us for the world to say, oh, they're just like me? I do pray that's the case with me. And I pray that that's the case with, with all of us who call ourselves Christians and call upon the name of the Lord. But I continue in verse 12 and, and it says there now. David took these words to heart 
and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And so he changed his behavior before them. He pretended madness in their hands. He pretended to be crazy. He, he scratched, he scribbled on the doors of the gate and he let his saliva fall down on his beard. And then Achish said to the servants, look, you see the man is crazy. You, you see he's insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that, that you have brought this fellow to play the madman, the crazy person in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so we, we read so much. We hear so much about David, somebody who's admirable, and we know that he is. In fact, he's one of the people I would love to talk to in eternity. When I get to heaven, I love to hang out with David. But, but this situation was, was a little crazy, no pun intended. And you see in this study from uh, the life of David, we see what can happen if we allow fear to be a factor. You see, David allowed fear to be a factor in his life in this situation because he ended up lying to the priest about the reason he was in Nob in the first place. He was afraid of King Saul being killed by him. And so out of that fear, he lied to the priests. And so that's one thing that could happen to us when we allow fear to be a factor in our lives and in our situations. We will readily lie. We'll give in to that temptation to lie. But then another thing we saw that David did is that he ran to, to Achish. He ran to that king of Gath. He ran, in other words, to the enemy, the Philistines, the enemy of the Israelites. And that just shows that if fear becomes a factor in our lives and in our situations, that we too will try to find refuge. We too will try to find shelter or safety in the place we ought not. In a place we have no business being. In a place we have no business hanging out, trusting in things we have no business trusting in. That's what happened or could happen when we allow fear to be a factor in our lives. But a third thing that I see from the life of David in this chapter that, that shows us what could happen if, if fear becomes a factor is that we saw that David changed his behavior. We saw that he acted like a crazy person, like a madman. And, and for us as well, we can do crazy things. We can do things that are so out of character. You wouldn't even believe that, that that's us. Really? Darrell did that? Really? You're not, no, he's not talking about the Darrell I know. Or you're not talking about the Joe I know. Joe would never do that. Joe would never say that. You see, we do crazy things. We would do things out of character, change our behavior like, like David did. If fear becomes a factor. Oh, and I like what Pastor Chuck Smith says. I, I probably could have said this and closed the lesson. Because according to Pastor Chuck Smith, he says that, flip, that fear will turn you into a fool. Fear will turn you into a fool. So pretty much we'll do things that are out of character. And so as we recall this embarrassing moment for David in verses 10 through 15, when he went to Gath, what, what I want to point out is that, yes, okay, that was embarrassing for him. But if you continue to read the scriptures and we teach you all to read the scriptures and you hear Pastor Jim say this more than any of us, read from Genesis to Revelation. But as we continue to read the scriptures and you move on from this lesson in 1 Samuel 21, what you'll see later on in the Old Testament, you'll see Psalms 34 and you'll see uh, Psalm 56. Because Psalms 34 and 56, I point those out because both of those Psalms came out of this situation that we saw in verses 10 through 15 where David was acting out of his mind. And when you read those Psalms, Psalm 34 and, and Psalm 56, you, you see that David learned from this moment of being overcome with fear. So tonight, are you overcome by or are you on the verge of being overcome by fear? 
And we all go through things. We all have challenges in our lives that, that can definitely cause fear in our lives. But are we overcome by or on the verge of being overcome by fear? Whatever that may be or whatever those things may be. And so if so, what we can do is we can take three out of the five points I'm going to share with you from those two Psalms that I mentioned. Remember that Psalms 34 and 56 came out of this situation that David learned from. And so three out of the five points that I'm going to share with you on on ways we can overcome or avoid being overcome by fear, they're going to come from two of those Psalms. And so let's look at Psalm 34, verse 4. This is what David learned. And this is what he did. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And so from from that verse, we can come up with two points. Two points or two things that will help us overcome or avoid becoming overcome with fear. And one of those things is the number one, seek the Lord. That's what David learned. He learned how to seek the Lord, how to go to the Lord in prayer. He couldn't turn to himself. He definitely couldn't turn to his enemies. He definitely couldn't turn to Achish, the, the king of Gath. He He couldn't turn definitely to King Saul. He couldn't turn to anyone else. So he sought the Lord. And so I would say, seek the Lord. Do what David learned to do. When that fear begins to to creep up. And then, of course. Know. Know what? Know that the Lord is able to deliver us from our fears, as it says in the second half of Psalm 34, verse 4. Know that the Lord is able to deliver us from our fears. But then you have that other psalm that I mentioned that came out of this situation in Psalm 56. And from Psalm 56, verse 3, this is what he said. This is what he learned. He said, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. And so that brings us to our third point on how to overcome or avoid being overcome with fear. That is to to trust in the Lord. Oh, David learned this. David learned this from an embarrassing situation. And unfortunately for him, this embarrassing situation is, is recorded in scripture for all of us to read. And I wonder how many embarrassing situations we've had that are not recorded in scripture. Those embarrassing situations that come out of our fear when we acted like a crazy person. When we acted foolish because of fear. Will David learn to trust in the Lord when when he is afraid? And I will submit that we do the same thing. And then in Proverbs 29. 25, it says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And so in point number four, we see the result of trusting in the Lord, that there's safety in him. And that's something for us to remember. And so in these points that I'm sharing with you and what I call spiritual nuggets that I'm sharing with you tonight and that I'm reminding even myself of tonight. Because the word of God is a, is a double-edged sword. And so it may cut you, but it's going to cut me too. And so, yes, I, I spend time praying and, and I spend time meditating over the scripture and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal uh, a timely word to me. But, but I know this word is not just for you. It's not just for thee, but it's also for me. And so as a result of trusting in him, remember that there is safety in him. And so there are some actions that we can do. There's some things for us to know. There's some things for us to remember, like this fourth point. But then I like what it says in Genesis chapter 26, verse 24. 
It says, and the Lord appeared to him. Now we're talking about Isaac going back, backwards in the Old Testament. So the Lord appeared to Isaac that same night and he says, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. And so that, that fifth point of overcoming fear is going to help us to overcome fear. Is to be aware that God is with us. Yeah, sometimes we forget in, our, in those scary moments, in those crazy moments. Sometimes we forget, and so we need a reminder of that, just like in this scripture here in Genesis 26, 24, just like Isaac needed to be remembered of that, I need to be remembered of that, reminded of that. I need to remember that, that God is with me, that God is with you as a believer, that God is with us. He is, of course, Emmanuel. God with us. And here's the thing, because God is with his people, he can tell people like Isaac. He can tell people like Moses. He, he can tell people like Joshua and people like Gideon. He can tell the disciples, do not fear. He can tell them that because he's with his people. And here's the thing, not only is he with his people, but he's working on his people's behalf. He's working on your behalf. He's working on my behalf. And so, Lord, help us, we should pray, to sense your presence. Help us to remember that not only are you with us, but you're working on our behalf. Lord, we may, not we may not sense it right now. We may not see it right now. We may not feel it right now. I, I don't get the bubbly or the tingly feelings in my gut right now, Lord. I, I'm not feeling anything in my spirit right now, Lord. I'm not hearing anything from you. I'm not seeing things fall into place right now, Lord. And everything seems to work against me right now, Lord. I, I just don't sense your presence. I don't know, God, if you're really working for me. Lord, I don't even know if you're working against me, some of us may say. Some of us may think. But here we can take some, some comfort as we see this scripture. Just like he told Isaac, I am with you. And the Lord doesn't lie. So yes, Lord, we do acknowledge that you are with us. Help us to sense your presence. And, and I know that because you're with us, Lord, I know you're working. I know you're working. And one day, Lord, we're going to see the, the results of that. But help us, Lord, to continue to trust in you. And, and, I'm, and I'm speaking that and praying that on behalf of all of us. And so as Matt comes to the stage, we'll pray. And then we'll get into the communion part of our service. And that's kind of awesome that we'll get into the communion part of the service tonight or get to partake of communion tonight because of something that was shared earlier. And I'll let you know what that is. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us plenty of reasons to, to not fear. As you told many of your people, in the scriptures to do not fear for you are with them you are with us and you are working certain things out in the bible and you're working certain things out today and so lord i pray that you would give us courage give us strength give us boldness help us lord to not be overcome by fear you have not given us a spirit of fear but of love power and a sound mind what your word tells us. So I pray, Lord, for everyone under the sound of my voice tonight that you would bless, Lord, that you would strengthen, that you would heal, that you would shine your face upon them in favor, that you will be merciful to your people. And we thank you, Lord, for what you have done, what you're doing, and for what you're going to do. 
In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And so now we get into the communion part of the service. And one thing that was interesting in the study that kind of ties into communion is the fact that the priest made sure to mention that, you know, pretty much they, they wouldn't be able to partake of that holy bread unless their vessels were clean. And of course, it was talking in a ceremonial sense. And so when we talk about communion and, and we talk about that bread tonight, I already mentioned that, that Jesus is the bread of life. But when we think of the elements of communion, the bread and the juice, you know, and just sticking to the bread tonight, or just for now, that bread represents the body of Jesus. And so when we partake of communion, yes, we do it in remembrance of him. Yes, we proclaim his death till he comes. Yes, we are to do it with, with, with a heart of gratitude. But also it's a time of examination. And so it's a time of, of making sure that we're not taking it in an unworthy manner. So in other words, just to tie it into the lesson, let's, let's ask ourselves, Lord, have I been keeping myself pure? Have I been keeping my vessel pure? Or have I been using this vessel, this body to sin lately? And if so, because remember, communion is also a time of examination. So Lord, if so, reveal to me if I've been using my vessel lately in a sinful way. Because Lord, I want to partake of that holy bread. I want to take of that, partake of that communion bread, which represents your body. And so I would say during this time, be in prayer and, and ask the Lord to reveal any sin to you that you may confess it to him. And like I said, he's faithful. He's just. He'll, he'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's a forgiving God. He's a merciful God. So I just wanted to bring those things to your attention and kind of t- tie that part into the lesson tonight as we partake of communion. And so I'll just say a quick prayer, another quick prayer at this time in regard to communion, and then I'll take my seat for the night. Father, we, we just pray your blessings upon the elements. We thank you for that body that was beaten and bruised and just abuse for us. And we thank you for this juice, this cup of juice which represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. It's life being poured out for us. And as we partake, Lord, we do it in remembrance of you. We do it for your glory. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. God bless you. And so you. Um, as you feel moved, the elements are the front and at the back. So as you feel moved or led, uh, feel free to get the elements, take them back to your seats and, you know, just pray between you and the Lord and maybe your spouse. And if your spouse is here, God bless you. We love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.